Accutron Watches present The Accutron Show, a time travel through American culture, with your hosts David Graver and Indrani. Visit AccutronWatch.com and discover the brand that has made American history with an all-new proprietary next-generation electrostatic energy movement. Accutron. It's not a timepiece. It's a conversation piece. Every one of you is a million-to-one shot. The fact that your mother and your father uh, for some occasion decided to come together to produce you means that you the odds of you existing are a million to one or a billion to one so since you're so unique your work should reflect it should be personal and, and therefore your work will be unique the voice you heard at the top of the show was today's guest acclaimed filmmaker francis ford coppola but first up me David Graver, and my co-host, Indrani, on another episode of The Accutron Show. Stay tuned. This podcast is presented by Accutron Watches. Visit our website, accutronwatch.com, and discover our iconic Space View 2020 collection, recreating the stunning visual impact of the original open dial design, combined with an all-new electrostatic energy movement. Time just changed, again. The Accutron Space View 2020. This is such a special edition of the Accutron Show that, Indrani, you're calling in right now from Singapore to make this happen. Am I right? I am excited to be calling in from Singapore. It's sunny and humid and the opposite end of the time frame. We're middle of the night here, um, but so excited to to speak with the maestro and to, to learn from from the one and only Francis Ford Coppola. I think this is a very personal episode for both of us. You are a filmmaker. I went to school for film. And we're about to speak to someone who contributed so much to the canon of film history. Some of the best films in the world were his vision. I think he's really shaped the way we see ourselves as, as humans. He's one of those seminal voices that that perhaps more than, than even literature of, of the past we have a shared reference around the world. Everyone has watched Apocalypse Now, or every everyone knows of The Godfather, even if they haven't seen it. They they've heard about it. They've they've read about it. You know that kind of connective mythology hasn't really existed in in the past in the way that uh, that these films have shaped people. The conversation is definitely my favorite. Um from his roster though i i secretly love dracula so much i think dracula is one of the best things he did all of the you know the special effects in camera with his his son um do you have a favorite couple of film oh for me it's definitely apocalypse now i think that film changed the way i saw the world and uh, and i think it's it it resonates with the, so much of the storytelling that's come after that has has been influenced by this narrative of the 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 war between man and 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 their inner nature and outer nature and and these uh, these ideas of of what what it means to actually go into the heart of darkness you know the joseph conrad novel that it was inspired by that 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 journey is has taken on this sort of epic proportions and has become sort of a 
ubiquitous story. You know, in, in many ways, it's a challenging and, and problematic as well, because it shapes the way that uh, the people view the, the natural world and, and view indigenous people. So it's it's complex, but uh, but very powerful. I think everyone remembers the first time they saw Apocalypse Now and the way they felt during and after. And, and I think that uh, I'm really interested to see how his storytelling changes with, with the new film that's coming out, Megalopolis. I, th- I think from what I've read, uh, he, he may be addressing the future of humanity uh, with, with a more hopeful perspective. I do think also he may have a special story for us about Accutron and Accutron watches and how they pertain to filmmaking, which will be pretty cool. I'm, I'm so interested in him as not just a filmmaker, but also an entrepreneur. I mean, he has explored so many different areas of creativity. It'd be lovely to, to understand more about how he how he sees the relationship between those. Thank you for phoning in for this one. It's nice to see you, albeit across the world. And more from Francis Ford Coppola on The Accutron Show. Stay tuned. This is not one to miss. This podcast is presented by Accutron Watches. Visit our website, AccutronWatch.com, and discover our Accutron DNA collection. Reimagined for a new generation, the Accutron DNA combines breakthrough technology, precise engineering, and modern aesthetics to achieve a new level of technical excellence. The Accutron DNA, the new face of time for those who blaze new trails. Mr. Coppola, it's truly an honor to have you here today on the Accutron Show. We would like to begin with a project that has been moving you for decades now, Megalopolis. Would you take some time to tell us where you are in the process of filmmaking and what it's been like to go through the production of Megalopolis? Well, I mean, basically, it's been said that I've been working on this for for many years, but, but it's a little misunderstood. What I was doing is I had a notebook of, of uh, you know, I made, I've made films in many different styles. Uh, but hopefully always appropriate to that in particular. I mean, The Godfather was very classical. Apocalypse Now was the opposite of very classical. So I wondered, uh, I wonder what my style was, uh, because I always changed the style to suit the, the theme. And so I had a notebook in which I just would put things I read in the newspaper or interesting history i was and it was it was just a collection of notes uh which led me to the idea that i thought it would be fun for me to do a, a roman epic and much much more a roman epic but set in modern america which is a, was an odd idea then but now more appropriate today so so the, the, this work was more just basically collecting collecting a scrapbook and uh, and and ultimately that scrapbook turned into uh, a screenplay and about uh, 20 years ago i actually tried to make it and 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 uh, the theme of the film uh, spoke of uh, a sort of utopia like idea but it would happen right when the 911 tragedy happened in new york so i said oh my god how am i going to make this now we have uh, everyone is talking about uh, enemies, uh, and 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 I don't I don't think I know how to do it. 
And then years later, you know, my 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 pattern has always been I worked on a project until I got so discouraged about it, I abandoned it and began a new one. And then I would work on that and then I would abandon that and think, oh, that last one wasn't so bad. And so I always make the one film I was working on before, which sort of happened uh, now, you know, and, 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 and I decided, well, you know, maybe maybe I could make that that film. And so I continued. And, and yes, I did shoot it. And I, I uh, am in the process of what we, what you know as post-production, where you really finish the film, which is, uh, you know, all the sound and music and finishing and special effects. That's what I'm doing now. Mr. Coppola, it's it's such an honor to speak with you. I'm a young filmmaker myself, and um, I, I. Well, yes, really I, I'm. I'm also a young filmmaker. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know, and I, I can't wait to see your new film. I, I, I read that you, you, you talked about it as a, as a film about the future, and I find that really exciting because I, I, I really believe that one of the greatest problems of our times is that people are afraid to imagine the future. How, how do you see the future, and, and how do you tackle the, the challenge of a society that is, is so framed by this sort of negative visions of the future? Well, I think the problem is that when we when we think of the human being and, and, and what our nature is, we tend to think of, of that in, in, in as two aspects, you know, sort of good and bad at the same time. But if you go back to the roots, if you go back, I, I like to go back, any, any problem that's happening, I like to go back to the roots of that problem. In other words, when it wasn't yet a problem, but then began to grow, grow in a direction that was a problem. I like to understand it at that moment, because that's the moment where there's hope that it didn't have to grow in that way. And when you look at the human being, we are, of course, a species, we're, we're, we're homo sapien. Uh, they're not sure how old we are. Let's just say we're 400,000 years which which means that's of course that's that's quite quite in our type of human measurement that's a long time uh, four hundred thousand years, and and if you look at us at that time you realize that we came about during a a, a, a nice age in which for us to survive we would have had to have been very cooperative with one another in other words we would have had to be friendly. Uh, our nature had to be friendly and cooperative uh, because our babies, as as you know, our babies can't do anything for themselves for maybe four or five years. If you take a human baby, put it in the in a in a in the wilderness, it, 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 if there's no one to care for it, it will it will perish. Whereas a baby deer or a baby monkey or all, any other animal species, their their babies are much more capable of taking care of themselves much earlier. So there is no way we would have even we can even exist unless we uh, at the beginning our nature was friendly and 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 cooperative and, and even if you look at our words, uh, words sometimes uh, often come to us from ancient times. So uh, what a word really means uh, carries with it uh, its origins. And and when we use the word inhuman. We know that that means bad. When we say, "Oh, so and so are doing inhuman behavior," we would agree that that means they're doing, by our standards, bad things. 
And if we say, oh, they are humane, that means good things, helpful, friendly, kind, supportive. So, so, so my conclusion is that, at, you know, you can ask what, what is our species like? Are, are, were we, did we begin in a very friendly way, helpful to our, uh, our, our neighbors? Uh, and then over time, we got bad <laughs> or inhuman. Uh, did we begin bad, and over time, did we get uh, good? <laughs> or or it, it, were we always sort of good and bad, and we're still good and bad? So my, my logic, and I won't waste our time with a long time talking about this movie, because I think about it all the time, and I want to talk about other things. But basically, the word carries with it the idea that at first we were humane, we were helpful, and, and our babies would not have survived had not everyone tried to care for them, what's known as alloparenting. So, and, and, and even the fact that, that we were friendly meant that we learned a lot, because if you learn much more from a living friend than you do from a dead enemy, so if, if our nature was friendly, that meant we were always sharing ideas and our brains got bigger and bigger and we evolved into this extraordinary creature that we are today, a, a, a creature, uh, it's really, homo sapien is not adequate to describe us. A sapien means knowing, but we're far more than knowing. We're, we're more like a, a genius species. Uh, I mean, what other creed, what other intelligence? We know there are other animals that have intelligence. Uh, we know elephants have intelligence. We know crows have intelligence. We know octopus have intelligence. Dolphins have intelligence. Pigs have intelligence. But, but, but far, 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 far distant from them is the human being because we, we, we do things no other creature can do. We can understand things. No one, we have... We have decoded the human genome. We have, we we send our 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 tools to outer space to photograph the universe. Nothing can be compared to the human being. Yet we never say it. You never hear when, oh, the human being is a genius species by God. The only one who ever said it was an Italian, Giovanni del Pico Mendola, in the 14th century, on his uh, his piece called the. The origins of man, and we, and he got in a lot of trouble because, you know, of course, the church didn't like anyone saying that human beings have such extraordinary ability. So, so I am confident that our species, our genius species, are capable of solving any problem of modern times. That we can get past the very daunting, difficult uh, challenges that we have. If only we could accept that we are in fact capable of it and, and that we are one family. I mean, you, I'm talking to all of you, you're all my cousins. We're all blood relations uh, because only one family of the homo sapiens survived. And at one time there were very few of us. So in conclusion, uh, in answer to your question, yes, I am extremely hopeful about the future. I feel very positive about the future. I am sure that we will understand that we are all in it together and that we are capable of, of, of solving the very difficult problems happening in the world today. If you ask anyone today, any person, you know, are things better now or are they, were they better in 1948 or 1950? They'll, they'll all say it was better before. Well, 
well, this is disturbing. Why should it be better before? It should be at its best today. So yes, I am positive. I am I am extremely proud to be uh, part of the human family. And that's all really I have to say. I, I made a film. I, 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 everyone is pitching their films today, saying, oh, see my film, see my film. I, I don't say that, you know. If you want to see my film, you, you'll see it. And, and, and I feel... Uh, I, 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 I sort of don't want to talk so much about it because I'm right now working on it and I'd rather talk about other things. So ask me, ask me any question you like as long as it's not about my film. All, all I can say is I love the actors in it. it. It's unusual and it's never boring. Other than that, wait and see. It's only going to be a few months and it will be out. I look, I look forward to seeing it. Mr. Coppola, you have contributed so many masterpieces to the cinematic canon. My personal favorite being actually The Conversation. Is there one film in your repertoire that is dearest to you? I would say Rumblefish, uh, mainly because, because I made Rumblefish for young people. I made it, uh, I wanted to make an art film for kids and, and, and show kids what the cinema could do, how how marvelous it is, how how many uh, aspects of it you could use, you know, so it was in black and white, but it combined color, it had had uh, uh, interesting uh, visuals. And, and yeah, I, 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 I like the fact that, and I know, in fact, interesting, I thought Rumblefish was a failure because it didn't, you know, it didn't do that well when it came out. But I later learned that it inspired many, uh, interestingly, Latin American writers and filmmakers that they were obsessed with this movie, even though they didn't know so much about it. But somehow it spoke to them in Chile and and in uh, and in Buenos Aires and 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 uh, throughout. You know, Latin America really dominated the novel in the last hundred years. Uh, you know, the great novels were written. Uh, uh, of course, by you know Colombian and and and, and uh, Venezuelan and Chilean writers. So so also cinema uh, grew out of that period. And I'm I'm proud that Rumblefish uh, was uh, was influential uh, for that. I like I like Rumblefish myself. I love the 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 work you've done over the years to inspire and 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 to fight for other filmmakers uh, from. George Lucas or, or the younger generations as well. Um, and when we look at, at how you've influenced so many, who has influenced you when you were younger? I, I, I remember reading, I'm, I'm from India and I, I read a mention that you made of Sachajit Ray and, and I was really, uh, really so proud to, to see his name included, but I, I'd love to, to hear who who influenced you? Know, all, all, all today's filmmakers uh, uh, sit on the shoulders of the greats who came before us. I mean, cinema is quite young. Of course, uh, the theater is thousands of years old, and the theater gave gave birth to uh, uh, to the cinema. The cinema is a child of theater, but we are all uh, all of the arts are the child of myth. And and uh, and of course, who, who who you know you have to speak Sanskrit to be able to understand uh, Indian mythology. Uh, it's so extraordinary. I mean, to 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 be able. I, I have a good friend who went to high school with me, who was a brilliant young lady, and she 
She at first, you know, studied Latin and Greek, but ultimately she became one of the world's authority on Sanskrit and Indian myth, a woman, by the way, which is interesting. So, so, so we, we, we artists and uh, we, we, are, we, we are the beneficiaries of, of great, great giant figures in the cinema. Yes, you can talk about Sahaja Rai, you can talk about Kurosawa, you can talk about uh, the great Germans in the early days, G.W. Pabst, Marnau. I mean, uh, you know, people ask me all the time, what are your 10 favorite movies? They say, ask me what my thousand favorite movies are. There are no, there are no 10, there are thousands. Uh, I mean, Kurosawa alone made, made uh, nine masterpieces. So, so, you know, it's, it's absurd. Uh, has your di directing process changed from when you were with uh, De Niro on The Godfather to Adam Driver in 2023? Well, you know, of all the, you know, Orson Welles once famously said, who was an actor, by the way, originally, he said, well, you could learn everything you need to learn about how to make a movie in a weekend. And much of it you can. But there are two areas which you cannot. And the most the most daunting area to learn about is acting, which is why if you look at the statistics of all the different uh, crafts that become directors, editors, writers, uh, assistant directors, uh, all, by far the giant proportion that become great directors are actors. Uh, even going back to the early days, uh, to the original Pioneers, they were actors. And, and I think that that's because acting itself is is not something you can learn in a weekend. It's something you you learn over a lifetime almost, you know, and it's it's that's why many directors who did not come from acting uh, are limited in, in working with an actor and understanding how you work with an actor. The way you work with an actor is like a coach. The actor is who does it. All you do is you're there to maybe, throw out a suggestion that's uh I, the example i love most of all about what a director really does is like in the case of uh, the great film the french connection which gene hackman started gene hackman told me that he was there he put on a funny hat he talked in a funny way but he said i had no idea what i was doing i had no idea who the guy was and then one morning he went to the coffee and he took a donut and a cup of coffee and he dipped the donut in the coffee and he took a bite and threw the donut on the street and a voice said that's him and he looked and it was the director Billy Friedkin who was watching him and what Hackman said when he said that's him the kind of guy would take one bite of a donut and throw it on the street I knew who I was so the director is there just to offer uh offer something that might be helpful but the actor is who does it yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it's it's really interesting to to hear from a director that that uh, that love for for your actors. Do you, do you feel that love is is a, a compelling force in your filmmaking, or what, what what do you feel is the strongest sort of emotional uh, intensity that uh, that you bring to your work? I think you know how I feel about that. Yes, I think this that love is something we speak about usually it's 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 spoken of in the romantic terms do i love her or she loves me or 
but but it's far more powerful and, and per pervasive in our lives and always has been it's uh you know it's almost like a it's almost like gravity or light <laughs> and and i believe that it possibly you know that there is a a, a force in physics that 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 they will understand more as we learn more about the universe that is an overwhelming cosmological force almost as you know they don't even understand what gravity really is because many as we learn more about physics many of the ideas we had don't sort of allow these other ideas and, and they're always looking for some universal principle so that we we understand that gravity might actually be a particle and they talk about a, a gravitron as or light we know light has a photon well you know there is a lot of the universe that they say we don't interact with, which is known as dark energy dark matter maybe it's love maybe we do interact with. maybe love is that we feel for one another and for our families or for, for art or for beauty maybe it goes way beyond uh how we define love and it's actually a principle that's out there in the universe uh and and, and my 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 intuition tells me that it is thank you mr coppola we'll be back in a moment after a message from accutron this podcast is presented by accutron watches visit our website accutronwatch.com and discover our legacy collection Reviving some of the most memorable Accutron watches from the 60s and 70s, the Legacy Collection combines timeless design with the technical excellence of Swiss watchmaking, each limited to 600 individually numbered pieces. The Accutron Legacy Collection, inspired by the past, built for your future. And we're back with filmmaker Francis Ford Coppola. Speaking of love, I had the great privilege of touring Inglenook uh, in January of 2023, and had some of your marvelous wines. Can you tell me about the role winemaking plays in your life? Well, you know, perhaps most creative processes do relate to one another. I know as a, having years as a filmmaker that, you know, we tend to divide filmmaking into, a, into three phases, a gathering phase, you gather ideas and ideas, casting, what have you. And then there's the actual making phase and then there's the finishing phase. Each one is much more complex than than just saying finishing. Finishing a film is, is a gigantic process, but finishing wine is also a gigantic process. So I I noticed that the three processes of, of making wine and, and making film are the same. So I would guess that probably all creative processes relate in that way. Uh, uh, you know the, the the gathering, the making, and and the and the finishing. So so perhaps uh, there is a unity to the creative process that, that I I've experienced both in I've made you know films, I've made wine, I've made hotels, and and I find that the process is exactly it's so much the same process that in my life where I'm doing all three all the time, I don't even the to break them up i don't even say oh now this is the wine or this is the movie it's i just talk about them as all one thing one creative process i think that's that's really inspiring seeing the creativity in both building a business or or in creating a, a story any any creative that tends to have 
similarity in, in how you do it. And certainly, uh, above all, you're always inspired by who came before you. We, we, we sit on the shoulders of giants. Well, I'm, I'm a young filmmaker working on a film about the environment. And I've read that, that you have a great passion for, for protecting the environment. What, what advice would you give to, a young, to young filmmakers who, who want to bring attention to issues that are really important, like climate change? Oh, well, what, what, what I have told my own children, who are all young filmmakers, of course, you know that my daughter Sophia is a very acclaimed filmmaker. I said, make your work personal. You know, there's only all of you there. Every one of you is a million to one shot. The fact that your mother and your father, uh, for some occasion, decided to come together to produce you means that you, the odds of you existing are a million to one or a billion to one. So since you're so unique, your work should reflect, it should be personal and, and therefore your work will be unique. So, so, so all filmmakers uh, should, should, should be doing, their work is very personal. You should never be doing work because you think, oh, if I do this, it will be successful or it will make me uh, more popular. Just do what you love, do what's interesting. And, if, and of course, if you're interested as you should be in, in our earth and the fact that uh, that that this constant obsession for growth, for economical growth, is is even economists agree that it is it, it, the famous uh, John Maynard Keynes, who is one of the, the the valued economists in the people today in economics, said that in about a hundred years it's going to be necessary to change uh, this idea of growth into a non-growth scenario. And he said that a hundred years ago. So the time has come that we have to, uh, we have to doubt that, that blind growth, economic growth is good. Every country in the world measures itself in that way. And it's absurd because it's what's causing uh, our, our problems today. We, 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 we don't want to, there's a wonderful Australian writer I've been reading recently named, uh, I think his name is Clive Hamilton. And he said something, he says, we don't want, we, we want a richer life, not a life of riches. Understood. Definitely. Do you, do you ever put movies on for the sake of enjoyment just to relax or to zone out or is everything you watch with a critical eye well i used to think that to relax i ought to always be reading a book that has nothing to do with what i'm working on and i discovered that when i do that it always has to do what i'm working on but in a different way that i would have imagined so by the same token if you see a film just because I want to just enjoy myself and see this film, it still relates to what, what you're, because you're thinking about that and you interpret everything you read or see or hear according to what it is going on in you. Last night I saw for the first time Wes Anderson's film, uh, um, Astro, uh, Asteroid City, uh, which I enjoyed very much, which of course, as you know, my son Roman worked on. And and uh, yeah, I, I watch movies for, for pleasure like everyone else does. But I read, I, mostly I read. I've, I've become, as I've gotten older, uh, when I go to bed, I always go to bed with my friend 
the book I'm reading, and and uh, and I, I read myself and I fall asleep. I love that. Yeah, I, I for me, Apocalypse Now is such a seminal film, and it shapes so much of how the world sees sees ourselves in that struggle, man versus nature, man versus their inner nature. Do you do you feel that that the metaphor uh, behind it, uh, which uh, do you feel that 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 is still really relevant, or is there a new paradigm that you're exploring in in your new works that that take us in a different direction? Well, I'm not sure that my new work goes in a different it goes in a, in a different direction, uh, but perhaps it does. I mean, I certainly feel I understand things about life and uh, you know what what we're what we're doing here and 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 you know I I can remember I have a very good memory. That's what I you know everyone gets a gift since we're a genius species. All of us get a gift. It's not always the gift we want, but we get a few gifts. And one of my gifts is a sense of a sense for the future, seeing the future. I, I, so many times I've made films, even like you speak of conversation. When I made that film, no one said, "Well, what's a professional eavesdropper? What, what is that?" But ten years later, during War, Watergate, they knew. Or well, when I made the Rain People, which was basically about a woman who was a wife who loved her husband, but left him because she didn't want to be a wife. That was 20 years before the women's liberation movement became more articulated. So very often, even, even Megalopolis, which is the idea of America, which was founded, we know that our country, United States of America, was founded on the concept of Rome, because we have a Senate, we have Roman law, uh, so it's appropriate that you 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 make a Roman epic, but set in modern America. Yet, when I first thought of it, everyone said, "What do you want to do that for?" But today, you can't read the newspaper without it saying America is now about to lose its republic in the same way Rome did two thousand years ago. So somehow, I have a uh, I don't know where it comes from, but a knack of having a good glimpse of the future. When I made that embarrassing speech at the Oscars, when Michael Cimino, wonderful Michael Cimino, won the Oscar for Deer Hunter, I made a stupid speech, which everyone laughed at, about how the film industry was about to change and become digital electronics and satellites and stuff. And everyone laughed at it, but it all came true, which they realize now. So. I think one of my gifts is that I can sort of see the future and and the future I see now is beautiful and 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 very positive uh, and I and and it's it, it will be so because the human being is much greater than they are told they are constantly and why 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 is it no one will say you, you don't put on the television or read the newspaper and say, the human being is a magnificent creature worthy to be praised. You don't ever see that, but it's true. Why don't you see it? Because those people who manage everything don't want to say that because it's very difficult to tell people that they're great and then milk them like cows or shear them like sheep. You want people to be meek and submissive. You don't want them to be great 
and 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 uh, I know it. I know how great they are. So, uh, but logic tells you. I mean, no other creature can do what we do. Uh, we're not like a little smarter than octopuses. Octopuses are quite nice, uh, by the way, and very friendly. But, but but we're not just a little smarter than crows or or pigs. We're incredibly more able than any of any other living creature we know by by a margin so great it's ridiculous to talk about what other creature can can chart and change the human the genome understand uh and think about and do the things we can no no one's even close then why does no one ever say it I, I only reason I can see that they never say it because you can't control people who are that great. And they want to control people. They want to say, oh, oh yeah, we're great. We we Americans are great, but those Russians are not so great. Russians are great. Why are we fighting a war with Russia? We should be working on nuclear fusion together with them. They, they were the pioneers in in advancing the concept of nuclear fusion. It's absurd that we're not collaborating with them or with any any people you know we 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 we're all one family we're all we all we all love our children all the children are our children why are we killing so many children every day every day i i, I see these children dying in parts of the world it's 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 absurd they that's a potential einstein that's a potential mozart that's a potential archimedes uh, it's a waste of a valuable resource, these these human babies that are dying by the thousands. And, and worse, they're killing themselves. The, the suicide rate of children is going up. Something's wrong. It, it, it's That's absurd. Do you think social media has been a force of good or a force of evil or somewhere in a gray space? Obviously, uh, Social media, which is something that I witnessed in my lifetime before and after, it is, it, yeah, and many good things go in a wrong direction for a while until it's corrected. I think people are starting to realize that sitting in a restaurant, looking at everybody together, just talking on their phone, there's something strange, you know, that uh, why? So even people, Already, there's the semi-smartphone, or the you know the the phone that can do what you need, but you don't get a. a I mean, even I've seen I have a typewriter that is electronic typewriter, but you can't go wandering and looking at your Instagram. You you have to type. Uh, so so yes, I mean I think what we call social media is is young technology and it will evolve in a more positive. Everything will evolve in a more positive direction because we are the authors of it, and we are great, so that these things will become helpful and great. I'm optimistic about all these things. Well, as, as we face these, these existential challenges of, of, of climate and ecosystems, the, the one part that, uh, that inspires people to keep fighting is, is films and stories of heroism. When, when, you, when you look at the work that you've done what, what what do you feel the most proud of in terms of of advancing culture or inspiring people 
I, I don't think of myself in those terms. You know, I think one of the differences of American filmmakers to other filmmakers in other countries is that many of us are not in love with my cinema, but in love with the cinema. In other words, when I look at cinema, I don't look at it of what's mine and what's my colleagues. I think many of us look at it more from the, the lens of, of the cinema. We want to be part of the cinema, we, whether it's mine or Martin Scorsese's or Steven Spielberg's or uh, even people who are disgraced in this crazy world in one way or another people. I mean, there are certain people just are born great at making films. I'm not one of them, but people, Stephen is, he had a gift for it. Uh, uh, you know, we all get gifts, but as I said, it's not always the gift you want. <laughs> Look at look at William Wyler is an interesting example. William Wyler was the nephew of a movie mogul. He was the nephew of I forget of uh, what you might call uh, the one of those great movie giants. And his nephew came over now, but but he had the gift. He was he he, he William Wyler just had the natural gift to know how to make beautiful movies and did. So, so again, you know, I have a gift. I have, I have three gifts. I have a good imagination. I, I have a, a very a sense of the future, and and I'm willing to work as hard as it is to to get. If I have to rewrite the script a hundred times to make it just fifty percent better, I'll write it. I'll rewrite it two hundred times and make it a hundred percent better. That's a gift. It's not the kind of gift I wish. I just had the gift that certain people they just do it and it's great. I know people like that who could just do it and it's great. Robert Town is like that. No, he works hard. He works hard. But there are those who just what they do. My daughter has a, a, a natural gift different than mine. Uh, uh, so we all get these gifts. And, and the trick is to, to understand, to, to use them, even if you didn't get what you wanted. Mr. Coppola, if you are sitting at home, and you turn on the television and a film that you directed comes on, do you pause to watch it or do you move along? Depends on what I'm thinking about or, you know, whether or not. Uh, it happened to me in regard, I learned a lot once about Apocalypse Now because as you know, when Apocalypse came out, it, it wasn't greeted with cheers. <laughs> it was greeted with all kinds of reactions and and uh, it was very scary, in fact. But a few years later, I, I was in London at a very uh, inexpensive hotel that I used to like. And there was a crummy television in there. And I was in, in London, and I turned it on, and they were going to show Apocalypse Now. So I've always loved the beginning of Apocalypse Now. So I thought, I'll see the beginning, and then I would look at it. So it came on, and I saw the beginning. But then I watched the whole thing. And I was amazed because four years later, Apocalypse Now didn't seem so weird. It didn't seem so, you know, inaccessibly strange. And what I realized had happened, it, it had influenced what people expect from movies. In other words, the stuff that's done, like in the period of, of painting, when, when those artists came about that just did everything differently, like, you know, 
manual or Matisse or so so and so. The, the avant-garde art becomes the normal art of the future. It just it, it, an apocalypse had changed. And instead of being so weird, it seemed just like a normal movie because it had changed movies a little bit. And that's what art does. Uh, we always, those, the avant-garde becomes the wallpaper of the future. You know, people say, oh yeah, I'll have, so I'll have a thing and I make it look like that. Sometimes wonderful things are lost because of it. I think in France, there was a period of filmmakers that came just before the new wave. And since the new wave were mostly critics, Truffaut and, and, and uh, uh, all of them really were, were critics, uh, they all condemned the previous films made in France. But there were some good ones that were made in that period. Films like, uh, you know, uh, Gerard Philippe, Fanfan Le Tulip, and, and La Ronde. And so, so in other words, there's always the radical new that takes over and becomes normal, and then there's the avant-garde again. So it's an interesting process uh, uh, that I learned from that, that because I happen to watch all of a part, but normally if my film comes up, I don't necessarily watch it all. I, I, I may look at a certain part that I like, that I've always liked, but uh, but I, but or I might be interested, I haven't seen it in a long time, and I might be curious what it really is like. Mr. Coppola, we know you have to get back to editing. I just wanted to take some time to thank you for being with us today. This has been an absolute pleasure. Now you're 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 the Accutron show. So do you are you about watches too? We we do talk about watches. Are do you wear a watch? I I have a, like many people today because it's practical. I have an Apple Watch, but I have a, some beautiful watches. I and and did you know that the Accutron watch is responsible for wireless sync sound on movies? Did you know that? I did not know that. How did you know that? Uh, uh, I'll explain why, because years ago, a, a great documentary filmmaker, they used to have the camera and the sound unit were connected by a wire. And this guy, I, I know his name, but it just slips my mind a second. He had an idea that if instead of attaching the, the sound and the camera to a wire, if each one was getting its pulse from an Accutron watch, then they would be in sync. And so he synced the sound recorder with the tone of an Accutron and ran the motor of the camera with an Accutron and then there was sync between them. So the Accutron watch uh, is a, was a big step in liberating the camera and the sound recording so they could be in sync without having a wire. Now you know that. I'll give you another. Did you hear the story of my, my, my watch that was auctioned? You know that every year the watch companies which are, you know, very important and collectible today because the ability to make one of those extraordinary watches by hand is there's less apprentices and probably in a hundred years no one's going to know how to do it. So those watches are, if you buy a watch like from one of the great watch companies, they they will only cost twice as much in the next year. Well, so the, the there's a watchmaker genius named uh, F.P. Journey. Do you know who F.P. Journey is? Yes, indeed. Yeah. So I always wanted an F.P. Journey watch because they're so beautiful, but they're very expensive. Years ago, I I sort of said to my wife, well, if I could have a watch like that for my birthday, I'd, I'd contribute to it. So she bought me a $40,000 F.P. 
feature in a watch, $40,000 a mansion for a watch. Today, that same watch is worth a quarter of a million dollars, by the way. So I met F.P. Joinet, and I and he he uh, he was interested in that. Uh, I I liked his work, and I said, you know, people in the past were always interested in automatons, you know, like the mechanical men and stuff. Has there ever been a watch that that just told the time with a hand? What do you mean? I said, well, like for example, that would be one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock, four o'clock, five o'clock. Six o'clock, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, nine o'clock, ten o'clock, eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock. He says, "Well, that's interesting." I said, "Yeah, I, I thought I'm sure someone did that." I said, and so six months later, he said, "You know, no one's ever done that, and I think I can do it." Jornet said, "I can do it, but not. It'd be easy to have it be the picture on an Apple Watch, but to have a mechanical hand actually do that would be." very difficult. So two years later, he said, I think I can do it. He said, would you mind if I make one watch and I call it the FFCF de Journey watch? Because there's a big charity called Only, Only Watch. Only Watch, Only. indeed. Yeah, it's done for a charity and with the Prince of Monaco. And they, and they, and they, they auction these special one-of-a-kind watches. And he said, I think we could get, you know, a big bid on it, and of course, it's good for the watch company because publicity. So they did it, and this this watch, the FPFFC watch. In fact, if you do it, I'll make one. I'll make two. One will auction. One I'll give to you. I said, great. You know, so they auctioned it, and everyone said, well, we think it's going to sell for four hundred. No, how much does it sell for? Five million dollars. Came out with one you can buy. Which is not made, which is not the same color, in fact, but it's and it's made of titanium, and you can buy it today. Look it up, the FFC FP Journey watch. You can buy it. It's a million dollars to buy one of these watches. So, well, there's a great book I recommend anyone who wants to read by a man named David Graeber, G R A E B E R, called Debt. The first five thousand years. The reason that's so interesting because when we think of debt. We think of money, you know, I owe my credit card so much money, but money, currency, money like we talk about wasn't invented until about 700 years ago. So if this book is about debt, thousands of years before there was money, then what is debt really? And it's a very fascinating book because debt was social debt, you know, sort of like I owe my ancestors my life because without my ancestors I wouldn't be here and and uh, and I owe my parents my life and, and I repay that debt not you don't repay that kind of debt with money which is what's so interesting about that book the book is called debt the first 5,000 years by I think his name is David Graeber great book this has been such a pleasure. Honestly, this has been insightful and informative and inspiring. And we all look forward to seeing Megalopolis uh, when it comes out. Well, I, me, me too. I'm interested in seeing it because it changes and evolves and grows every day. I mean, it's an amazing process with all the collaborators we have. Thanks so much. Now. Thank you for listening to The Accutron Show. To listen to all of our shows, visit AccutronWatch.com. 
Remember to check out our special edition Accutron products in collaboration with La Paulina Cigars, Estabrook Pens, Asseline Publishing, and Stave Puzzles. To learn more about the world of Accutron, follow us on Instagram at Accutron Watch. From New York City, until next time, Accutron Time. This is Bill McCuddy.